Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Man, you guys are awesome, and uh, I am super excited to, to be here with you guys today at Redemption. As you know, or maybe you don't, so let me break the news. Pastor Byron had a baby. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go see. I'm gonna go see Ruth after uh, after service today. We're gonna. I'm gonna hang out with them a little bit. Get to see that baby. Um, I'm so excited to be here. That's my family on the screen. Uh, my wife Kristen. We've been married for 15 years. We have three beautiful children. We've got a boy named Jute, who, as you can see, was born with a big head. We've got a, a boy named Cruz, uh, who was born with a big head. And then we've got a girl named Indy, who's three, who was born with a perfectly sized head. <laughs> And when she came out normal-sized in her head, we really rejoiced because if you're a big-headed person, you understand big-headed people problems. You walk into a room head first, kind of get off balance. It happens to all of us who struggle with that. It's our intelligence, at least that's what we say. Man, I'm super excited to be here. I've been following the story of Redemption Church now for years, uh, following Pastor Byron on social media, watching what God has done here in this community. And driving here this morning, I saw that there are very few people on the streets of downtown Beaumont when I drove in today. Until you turn the corner and you, you come to redemption, you see that there is life happening here, that there's community happening here. And I just want to speak a word over this church. I believe that God has brought you to a place and a circumstance on purpose. Uh, I think that God in his infinite wisdom understand why you're supposed to be in Beaumont, why you're supposed to be here, and why God has amazing things in store for this church. So I think you're at the right time and the right place to be a part of God's power doing something significant to change the city of Beaumont, Texas. Amen? God is going to do amazing things. And I'm excited to be able to be here today on this Sunday morning. Uh, my wife and I, for 12 years, uh, were evangelists. All we did was travel and preach the gospel. And then in 2013, we moved to Phoenix, Arizona. And in 2014, we planted Compelled Church in the city of Glendale. We pastored that for five years, turned it over. And now my whole job is to do what I'm going to do with you this morning. It's to believe that there is a generation of missionaries that have yet to embrace their call. The truth is, there's some of you in this room that you've been praying for a long time. God send people. Send people to Africa. God send people to Algeria, Jesus. I pray that you would send people to the deepest, darkest places on the continent of the Congo, God, but not me. Send them. Not me, Lord. But I think revival happens when we start to pray, God send me. God send me. Some of you are called to go to your neighbor. In fact, we all are. We're called to go across the street to talk to our neighbor. Many of us feel the call of God to go and to talk to the, the cubicle, the person who's got the cubicle just down the hallway from us. We're called at our college, at our career, to do something significant for God. And I believe that in this room, there's somebody who says, Jacob, I've been waiting for somebody to say that to me. I feel like I have something in me that's called by God to do something significant for him. So embrace who you are in Jesus' name. 
Embrace the call of God in your life. Don't fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but what does the Bible say? But of power and of love and of a sound mind. Listen, fear is not of a sound mind. In other words, when you walk in fear, you do not walk in confidence. You don't walk in peace. You walk in fear. And fear has always been something that leads us to a dead-end road we cannot escape from by ourselves. That'll preach. That's not in my notes, but that will preach. I want, I, but I do want to preach to you today. Is that cool? I want to yell at you. I want to spit in your general direction. And I'm going to believe that God has something good today. Man, I love this place. Matthew chapter 17, verse number 20. It's going to be on the screen. The book of Matthew chapter number 17, verse number 20. Uh, this is what it says. This is for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. I love the last part and nothing will be impossible for you. I call this message mountain movers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in church this morning, to be here at Redemption in Beaumont, Texas. God, I pray that you would speak life into our bones. I pray that you would speak your heart into us. God, I pray that by the time we leave, we will know that we've been in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In your name we pray, and everybody said, amen. amen. Now, I need y'all to know something about me. I'm, I'm open about myself. I'm open about my family. I'm open about my struggles. I am very, very honest. In fact, I don't like to go anywhere and preach where I don't feel like the people are going to be honest with me in return. I love honesty. I think it's an important quality in each and every one of our lives. And so I need to tell you, honestly, I grew up in church. That wasn't always the greatest thing. I grew up in church, spent my entire life in church. In fact, some would say that I was born on the back row of the church. That's how much time I spent in church. I remember going to church the times I didn't want to go to church. And then there's the times I wanted to go to church because we had food. Everybody loved food. Thank you, Jesus. I enjoyed going to church on those times. But when I was a kid, I didn't always enjoy it. I remember going up in church, and from time to time, my dad would preach a message related to the scripture we've talked about today. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to anything, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Have you ever thought to yourself what your superhero power would be if you had a superhero power? Maybe it would be invisibility. That's the creeper one. Maybe Maybe it would be the ability to fly. I always wanted to be able to move things with my mind. And so I felt like when the Bible teaches this verse, the Bible is telling me, Jacob, you can have superhero power. You can have a power that moves things with your mind. I wanted to be able to go to class. I wanted to be able to take my ability to show and tell. I'm being, look what Jesus did in my life. I can move things with my mind, y'all. What? I wanted to be able to do, I wanted to be able to move the teacher's chair. But the frustrating part of life is that I didn't live in a place that had mountains. The only thing I knew that I could probably move with my mind was trees. And so I would go outside of our rural Arkansas home and I would stare at trees and I would command them in the name of Jesus to move. So I would walk outside and I would be staring at trees. Move. You do it. The Bible says. I took the Bible literally. I knew that tree could move in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. Move tree. 
And then I would get frustrated when the tree didn't move the way I thought the tree would move. You ever ask for something to move in your life and it didn't quite move the way that you thought it should move? Maybe you asked something in Jesus' name to change a situation, a circumstance, maybe an issue that you were facing. Jesus, I need you to move this mountain right now. And it didn't quite move the way you expected. See, it creates a crisis of faith. It doesn't always cause us to lose our faith or to lose who we are in Jesus' name, but when we believe what God says, and I think that God wants us to believe what he says, when we believe what he says and it doesn't always work out the way that we expected, there is a crisis of what we believe about the faithfulness and the goodness of God. So before I go on in the message, I need somebody to be reminded that God is good and God always is faithful regardless of the circumstance that you face right now. God is goodness and God's grace is not situational. In other words, he's not good because of the situation that you were in. He's good because of the situation that you're in right now. His grace is not based on your goodness. His grace has been good to you even though you have been awful in the things that you've walked through in your life. In other words, God will still be good to you regardless of what you've been through because of where he's taking you. He takes you to great things. And See, we're still praying prayers like this. God, if you're real, would you move? God, would you, if you're real, would you move this mountain? Except our prayers are a little bit more adult now. God, if you're real, would you allow me to get this job? God, if you're real, would you heal my cancer diagnosis? God, if you're real, could you put my finances back together? God, if you're real, could you strengthen my marriage? It doesn't seem to be headed in the right direction. God, if you're real, I've been looking at that girl over there. <laughs> And Jesus, I'm single. I've been looking to mingle for a long time. Jesus. Move over here in Jesus' name. Move over here in Jesus' name. Oh man, we're causing, we're asking Jesus to do all these big things in our life. But the truth is, this, this story that we're reading today has a little bit more depth to it than just about a boy standing in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It has something that connects our heart and our circumstances. See, I, I always believe that God connects my heart to my right now. See, sometimes God gives you grace in the middle of your situation, and other times God tells you to get out of your situation. In other words, there are some of us in the room that you are saying, God, what I'm going through right now is more than I can bear. It's more than my ability to withstand it. God, I don't understand what I'm dealing with, and you're praying that you could get out of the situation. Perhaps getting out is not what God has for you. Maybe God wants to give you grace in your situation. He wants to give you the ability to withstand your situation. And there are others of you in the room that you're praying that God would give you grace in the middle of your pain, grace in the middle of your heartache, grace in the middle of what you can't comprehend. And God is telling you, no, I told you to go. I told you to get out. But, but how, without a life of prayer, do we ever know the difference? Unless we are people of prayer who have a regular communication with the Heavenly Father, how do we ever know what God is telling us? If we don't ever know what God is telling us, then we'll constantly fall for every good thing that we find ourselves in front of. That's the reason why God says grace, and other times God says get out. How are you supposed to know the difference? See, it's about a life of prayer. Let's continue our story. Matthew chapter 17, verse number 14. It says, And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water, and I have brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. 
So we find Jesus confronted by a man with an epileptic son. Notice the two symptoms. He falls into the fire, and he falls often into the water. But Jesus understood that this was not a physical ailment. This was a spiritual condition. It was an evil spirit trying to kill the boy. And the father of the boy says, I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't do anything. I brought him to your disciples, but there was nothing that they could do. When was the last time you looked at a situation in your life and knew that something needed to change, but you didn't understand what you were supposed to do? You ever had a situation like that? You're like, this is bad. I know I can feel the walls collapsing, but I don't know what to do. A few weeks ago, my wife called me in a panic. She is coming out of a Costco parking lot, and, and she called me, and she said, Jacob, my brakes are out. I said, girl, you need to get off the road. Find a hay bale, drive into that hay bale. This is going to be bad for you if you don't get off the road. And she said, no, no, my brake lights are out. Let me calm you for a second. Somebody had pulled up alongside of her in the Costco parking lot and said, your lights are out. I, I've noticed you've been braking, but the lights aren't coming on. And she said one of the most horrifying things to me that a person like her could say to a man like me. She said, I need you to fix it. Y'all need to understand something about me right now. I am not a handyman. My father-in-law can build something from the ground up. So you know what I do? I go and I hold the flashlight. <laughs> Whenever something's going wrong with my house, some of the situation with my house, I feel, like my, I feel like my doors won't quite shut. I'm like, Dad, I need you to get under the house and just let me know what's happening. I need you to do it all for me. I will stand there and I will hold the light. So she said, I need you to fix it. I've got one screwdriver that I've had for 10 years that came with the TV that I bought 10 years ago. Thank Jesus for some people who were smart enough to put a screwdriver because I can literally now, if it can be fixed with a screwdriver, it can be fixed. If not, I just have to be like, no, there's no way. There's no way. There's nothing I can do. I can do nothing unless it can be fixed with this three-inch screwdriver. So I got into the garage and and we were pumping the brakes on it. She said, she said, what are we gonna do? I said, I'm gonna get in and I'm gonna pump the brakes a little bit and we're gonna figure this out. So I started pumping the brakes. Lights didn't come on. I pumped them a few more times, lights came on. I got out of the car and I said, hmm. I'll tell you what, I think this car's broken. <laughs> I went over to my neighbor. My neighbor's this type of person who has got tools all over the garage. You know the person. They're strange. <laughs> he likes to work on cars. He's got a Dodge Viper he loves to work on. And I, I went over and I said, I said, hey, Daryl, could you, could you come over here and take a look at my car? I think my brake lights are out. He said, what kind of car is it? He said, it's, I said, it's a Kia. He said, you need to take it to the dealership. And I was offended. <laughs> I was hurt mainly. So I went to my friend Tony. Tony comes to my, to my small group. Uh, I, went with, I went to my friend Tony and I said, Tony, you, you work on cars. Could you come over and maybe have a look at my car when you're here for the small group on Tuesday night? He said, sure. Tony comes, small group is over. He's getting ready to leave. He said, oh yeah, let me, let me go take a look at your car. And, and then he said, where are your tools? Tony, you know me. <laughs> So he said, let me, go, let me go to my car. Let me see if I can find some tools. About three minutes later, Tony comes back having found every single tool that he needs to fix my car. I learned something about Tony that night too. He 
he has an issue. Because if you can go into the floorboard of your car, rustle through the Taco Bell wrappers, and find enough tools to fix another man's car, this is not just convenience, this is a curse. <laughs> this is an issue. And I was, I was realizing that if it weren't for Tony trying to work on my car, I don't think I would ever have, I would literally be standing in the car looking at it right now going, babe, I know it's been, it's been seven months. I don't know what to do because I know me. See, the prideful person says, I'll fix what is broke. But the prayerful person says, I can't fix what I don't understand. The disciples had the realization that something was wrong, but they didn't have the understanding of what it was or what to do. If you've ever realized that something was wrong, but you didn't know what to do, why do we not readily ask the one who already has the answer? You and I have a heavenly father who has known the beginning from the ending from the very foundation of time. And in my pride, I want to be able to do it all by myself. But because I am trying to be a person of prayer, I've got to realize that only he is the one who can help me through his wisdom to figure out what the answer is to the brokenness. And in my brokenness, I recognize that my father in heaven already has an answer. It's in my pride that I choose to try and do it all by myself. Because a position of pride will leave every broken situation broken. Have you ever thought about it like this? I don't want to bother Jesus. He's got too much going on. There is too much turmoil in the world. There are too many natural disasters. I don't want to bother Jesus. I want to leave it all to the struggle of life and humanity. I don't want to try to bother my God. What I want to tell somebody is, is your job, and more so your privilege, is to bother the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He made you, knows who you are, and he's looking for relationship with you. So he wants you to come into his presence. He wants you to walk into his presence so that you can begin to believe that because he knows you, he also can hear you. So let's take it a little bit of a step further, can we? In 1 John chapter 5, verse number 14, it says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. I love what the message version says. It says, whatever you request along the lines of who I am and what I am doing, I'll do it. See, I'm a, I'm a father of three children, two big-headed kids and one normal-sized headed child. And my kids ask me for a lot of things. Any, any mom and dad in the house be like, I've been asked for a few things in my day? My, my middle son, Cruz, who's nine, is addicted to buying things and Fortnite. Buying things and Fortnite. And sometimes he will come up to me and he will say, Dad, I need to buy this new skin. If you've never played Fortnite, or if you have no clue what I'm talking about, Fortnite is a free download, and everything, though, in the game costs money. You want a new skin? It costs money. You want the battle pass? It costs money. You want the new season? You know where I'm going with this. And so he comes and he says, Dad, the new skin is out. I'm the only one who doesn't have it. I, I really, really need it. Oh, you need that, like, blue thing? Dad, you don't understand. <laughs> I'm the only one in my class that doesn't have it, Dad. I rarely want my child to ever be able to purchase a skin on Fortnite. It's become an addiction for him. But on the other hand, there are times when I am going to Target. My, dad, uh, my son says, Dad, can, can we buy something at Target? 
Like, what do you want? Stuff. <laughs> you just want some stuff. Here, the, the reality of the situation is there are times that I'm going to target, and because I'm already headed in that direction, he's probably going to get something. The truth is, uh, it's hard for me and my wife to go into Target and not buy something. It's, it's very phenomenal, actually. You can walk into Target and be amazed with the things that they have, and because we're going to Target, it's likely that he will get something because I'm already headed in that direction. On the other hand, it's rarely ever in my will for my son to get something on Fortnite because I'm never really going in that direction. I'm not headed in that way, so he doesn't get something that's not according to my will. I think it would surprise many of us in the room to know that many of our prayers are me asking God to align with my will rather than for me to figure out the will of God and align myself with it. If God is standing here and we say, Lord, I want to be with you, why do we stand on the other side of the room and say, God, I need you to move to where I am? Instead, you and I should begin to understand where God is and then look and seek in our heart of hearts to move to where God is because we know that when we move to where God is, God blesses already what he's doing. So my job is to figure out what God is doing and then learn to become a part of what he's already doing. To learn to be in the middle of what and where God is going and what he's doing. See, when my prayers are to align with God, he's going to work. But when my prayers are to align God with my will, he's going to wait. That's what frustration happens in. Frustration happens when you pray and say, God, I need you to work right now. And God says, I'm not going there, so I'm going to wait. And you become frustrated. You become irritated. And many of you have become furious because God is not working and you're worried now. The truth is, if you want God to work, figure out what he's already doing, what his will is, and then God is going to work on your behalf. Amen. He's going to do things on your behalf. See, this is the powerful thing about prayer. It helps me to understand, but it wasn't for me to just get. Prayer was meant more as an avenue for my understanding and not just to my getting. Some of us in the room, you're in the position of faith, but you're not in the place of understanding. We have faith, but we don't know where to go or what to do. So let's take it another step further. In Matthew chapter 17, verse number 17, it says, and Jesus answered. Now, he's talking to the disciples, and I need you to picture this. He says, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me, talking about the boy. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? I love this verse, because it brings Jesus close to me for a moment. Jesus is angry. You ever, you ever called somebody gross or a freak as a term of endearment you're sick and I love you you're a freak <laughs> most of the time when we call somebody a sick and twisted it's because there's frustration dwelling up and Jesus actually is at the point of anger and the point of frustration he calls his disciples sick and twisted he says oh faithless generation how long am I to bear with you this is what the definition for the word bear there means it means to be patient how long am I to be patient with you. How long am I to be patient with you? Be patient about what? About their understanding. Jesus is saying, I've been with you for three years and you don't fully understand or grasp what I'm trying to teach you yet. What did they not grasp? They did not grasp the concept of equal access. The concept of equal access for married couples is what's yours is mine and what's mine is yours. For some married couples, it's what's mine is mine. What's yours is mine. 
How do some of us interpret that? We say, Jacob, because you're on a stage, you must be closer to God. Therefore, God hears your prayers. Pastor Byron gets up on the stage every Sunday. He's closer to God. He spends time in prayer. He fasts all week. I don't know. He fasts all week long, prays 35 hours a day. And here he is. He hears from God more than me because he's more spiritual than me. The truth is, it's not about my proximity. It's about my heart proximity. It's about where my heart is in relationship to being close to God or to being far from him. The concept of equal access means each and every one of us in this room can know God and experience God, not based on the stage, but based on your heart, based on where you are in your relationship with God. So we have to go even deeper for just a moment. First John chapter 5, 14. It says, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God. See, some of us don't pray because we've never approached God, and when we do approach God, there's no confidence. Some of you base your relationship with God on the relationship that you had with your earthly father. If your father was mean, you're convinced that God's going to be mean too. You didn't have peace with your dad. You're afraid that you won't have peace with God. You had to walk on eggshells with your father. You're afraid you have to walk on eggshells with God. But this is what John said, and it's good. He said, this is my confidence that I have when I approach God. Hebrews chapter 4 says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne room of grace. There is only one way for you and me to pray. It's with a beautiful boldness that comes from knowing that we are sons and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You're a son and you're a daughter. You're a son and you're a daughter. So you don't have to be afraid to come into his presence. You are welcomed into his presence. You are invited into the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So how are you going to pray from now on? I want to teach you a lesson. How are you going to pray from now on? With a cocky confidence that only the son of a king could ever have. With a beautiful boldness that only a daddy's girl could ever have. I will push my boys down when my daughter comes. I'm like, no. No, your big head, go. I will never let my children see this message, ever. But I will hold her so tight because I love her more than the other two. So I will hold her tight. I'm kidding. I love my children. My wife won't let me tell that joke when they're around. So they're not here, and I can tell them whatever I want. It means we all have access in the presence of God. We have access to know God and access to be around him. See, Matthew chapter 17, verse number 20, as we go just a little bit deeper. Jesus said, because of your little faith, that's why you couldn't cast it out. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Hear me, faith and prayer are intertwined in inextricable ways. There are three attitudes we pray to God from. You ready? There are three. Determination, desperation, and dependence. Determination is the attitude of persistence. I become determined because I have confidence in God. Determined people pray powerful prayers because their prayers have purpose. It's the prayer for healing. It's the prayer for breakthrough in your finances. It's the prayer that God would save your family. Persistent people are heard by God. But sometimes our persistent prayers start off as desperation. It's a surprise diagnosis. It's a failing business. And we pray desperate prayers with the pit in our stomach and our eyes fill with tears. And we say, please, God, please. 
sometimes when God answers those prayers that are born out of desperation, we don't maintain that dependence. And so desperation comes and desperation goes, all based on where we are in the moment. God doesn't want you to live your life based on where you are at the moment. There's no joy in a relationship that is high and low and high and low. There's no joy in a marriage that is high and then low and then high and then low. So why would we want our relationship with God to be similar? There's no joy in a relationship with God that is simply born out of momentary minutes of desperation. So God wants you to have a relationship with him that's based on dependence. A dependent prayer is born out of all three. But the reason why it's dependent is because you know that God is the author and the perfecter of all things. If God has started something in your life, he will finish that something in your life. If God began a good work in you, he will complete a good work in you. If you're looking around and saying, but Jacob, you don't know what my life is like. You don't know what my family is like. The reality is I don't have to know to truly understand that dependent people are the ones who see mountains moved. I'm going to ask Josh to come back. Dependent people see mountains move. So let me ask this question. What are the mountains you need moved in your life? What are the mountains you're looking for God to move in you, in your family, in your business, in your relationships? For some of you, the mountain that you need moved, you've stood at the base of many times and looked up to the summit and said, God, please, I have faith. I have faith in you. I have faith in your promises. I have faith in what you've told me time and time again, God. I believe that you are good. I believe that you are real, God. So I pray, move in Jesus' name. And you haven't seen that mountain move yet, have you? Some of you right now listening to me talk are saying, but I haven't seen my mountain move. You cannot lose heart. You cannot lose faith. Because a faithful father still wants to give you grace while you look up at the top of the mountain. The good news for some of you in this room is you were not strengthened and you will not be strengthened in your relationship with God while you stand on mountaintops. I recognize we love mountaintops. We like to look over the landscape of our life and say, this is the best place I've ever been. There's snow up here. We can ski up here. I can take the lift from here to there. I can look out over my life. I love this place. I love summits. But you've never grown at the summit. You don't grow at the top. You grow at the bottom. You grow in the valley. Sometimes God needs you to go through valleys. He doesn't want you to live there. Sometimes you need to walk through them. It is about my dependence on God in the valley. See, some of you, God is calling to be a mountain mover. Some of you know that you have a mountain that you cannot move by yourself. But at the same time, sometimes God says be a mountain mover. And sometimes God calls us to help move the mountains in the lives of others. To move the mountain in the hearts and the lives of others. Which one are you? Jacob, I need God to move my mountain. My mountain is big. My mountain is significant. I'm glad you're going to Africa, but God, don't call me to it. 
I'm glad that we're going to give away uh, meals for our Thanksgiving giveaway, but Lord, I don't have the 20 bucks. I can't do it. I can't show up and serve. There's no reason why I should help sit up chairs. I have got my own life, my own business, my own thing. God will move your mountain. But can you help move the mountains for other people while you wait? While you wait. While you wait and while you wonder. Can God, will God, is he? I met KK for the first time when she was 18 years old, quiet and shy. I barely knew her. But as we got to know each other a little bit, I found out some things about her life. She grew up in a home where a mom and dad didn't have a relationship with Jesus, and she didn't either. When she was 10 years old, her mom and dad gave birth to a baby boy. And on Friday nights and Saturday nights, they'd go out clubbing, and they'd go and party, and she would be left alone to watch her brother, who was just a baby when she was only 10. She grew up in the Midwest, and she would tell stories about how thunderstorms and tornadoes would come through and the sirens would go off and it's one of the creepiest sounds in the world these tornado sirens would go off and she would whisper in her brother's ears it's gonna be okay don't worry it's gonna be okay and she didn't know if it was or not when she was 12 years old the van the church van came to pick her up and started taking her to church and she became the van girl who would get picked up on Sundays and Wednesday nights for youth service and she'd go to church and God was slowly doing a mighty work in her life. He was calling her to something special. When she was about 14 years old, she started asking her mom and her dad every Sunday, go to church with me. Come to church today. And every Sunday, they said the same thing. They would say, we're busy. We're busy. We're busy. And so when KK was 16 years old, she knew that she was called to be a missionary. She wanted to go on mission and she wanted to be a missionary and to do amazing things for God. But she didn't know what to do. So she said, I need to do something. So she talked to her youth pastor and her youth pastor said, hey, you can raise money for this organization called Speed the Light. Speed the Light is a ministry where teenagers give money to buy vehicles and creative communication equipment for missionaries on the field overseas. So she said, I'll I'll mow the church lawn. In the Midwest, it's hot and humid, kind of like, and probably very much like it is down here in Beaumont. And she would go and she would mow the church grass every Saturday. And she was so persistent that the youth pastor said, you know what, I'm going to buy a case of rags, washcloths. And, And after she had mowed the lawn on Saturday, she would go and she would tear these washcloths in half for hours just to say she had done something. And at the end of the summer, at 16 years old, she'd raised almost $2,000 for missions all by herself. No contribution from anybody other than she was persistent. And every Sunday she said, Dad, would you go to church with me? Mom, would you you come to church with me? And every week they would say, we're busy. We're busy. 17 years old, she went on her very first missions trip to the country of Guatemala. She went down to Guatemala and on the very last day after a week of intense 
ministry and the call to missions was cemented in her heart. On the very last day, she laid hands on a girl. And when she did, the Lord spoke to her in her heart and said, when you get home, your mom and your dad are going to start to serve me. Oh my gosh. She was so excited. She got home from the airport. She, she drove her little car home. She went back into her house and she got the family Bible. Back then, a lot of people, even people who didn't go to church, had a family Bible. It was a 45-pound King James Version Bible. She had to call people from next door to come help her carry the Bible. And she called, they, got, they got it and they, they carried it into her dad's room. She laid it down in front of him. <laughs> she said, when I was in Guatemala, God told me you were going to serve him. And he picked it up because he's a lot stronger. And he said, is that what God said? He said, every word in this book is a lie. And he threw it across the room. And that night she cried herself to sleep. Christmas came. The season we're getting ready to go into. And the Sunday that they were having the Christmas celebration at her church, she went to her dad. She said, dad, would you come to church with me? I just want you to come to church with me. I want you to, to come and experience this. And he said, just like he always had, I'm busy. So she went to church by herself. She sat on the front row. She always sat on the front row. She got there and pastor preached his message. And as he was getting ready to close, he, he looked around and he said, everybody close your eyes. Look down. Don't, don't look around at anybody, but close your eyes. Bow your head. And she did like many of us have done before. She, she popped that one eye open. Started looking around, just squinting, hoping nobody sees. I just want to be able to know, Lord, who's got their hand in the air so I can pray for them. And when she looked, she was shocked. Because at the back of the room was her dad. He, he was dressed in a suit and tie. She'd never seen that. And he was the only one in the room with his hand stretched up like this. And when the altar call came, he got out of his seat and he walked all the way to the front of the auditorium and he gave his life to Jesus that day. I've heard a lot of stories about how he was verbally abusive, how he would lay people low with his words, how angry he was, how he belittled his family, his wife, my, uh, my friend KK, he would, he would say those things to them. I heard so many stories, but I can say with sincerity and 100% authenticity that in the 18 years I've known KK, and in the 15 years that she's been my wife, I've never seen him angry one time. I've only seen him slightly irritated. <laughs> but I've never seen him angry. Why? Because God was moving mountains in his life. God was, God was using my wife's persistence to, to move mountains. She needed God to move mountains, but she didn't wait. She didn't wait and say, somebody come help me move my mountain. I'm going to be used by God and I'm going to move some mountains as well. Some of y'all need to understand, you can't wait. It's not your job to wait. Your job is to start moving some mountains. Your job is to start saying, God, if it's not on somebody else, it's going to be on me. And I can do all things through God who gives me strength let's move some mountains together in Jesus name we can do this I'm telling you Beaumont is going to experience the goodness of God because of Redemption Church I'm telling you God has things in store for this church but I need somebody to say I can be a mountain mover I can See, 
Because of the ministry that God has called us to, we need mountain movers to partner with us. We need people like you to say, Jacob, I'll, I'll pray. I can do that. I'll give. I can do that. But what if God also says, I, I need you to go? Can you do that? Can you do that? That's a hard one. There's a couple of y'all I'd like to say it's you. Let's do it together. Just have to wait for Jesus. What if God says go? What I'm going to do right now is I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray and then Ethan's going to come and I'm going to give you just a little bit of information so that you can stay connected with our family and stay connected with the ministry that God has in front of us, fanning the flame of mission in the American church and believing that 400 missionaries are going to be called to Africa in the next few years. Maybe that's you. Would you close your eyes with me and just, just prepare your heart, Father? In Jesus' name, I pray for your grace and your mercy to fill this house right now. God, I pray that your grace and your mercy would fill this room right now. I thank you for the lives of Redemption Church in Beaumont, Texas. God, I pray blessing. Come on, just begin to receive a little bit from the Lord this morning. He's just speaking to your heart. Just hear from him. Just hear from him. Let God move. Let him speak for a second. Jesus, your word and your promises. God, I pray for every family that you have blessed them. I pray for every individual. Bless them. I pray for the blessing of finances. God, I pray for the blessing of businesses, for relationships, marriages, God. I pray that you make people comfortable in their singleness right now in Jesus' name. Comfortable in those in their singleness. God, not to, not to become irritated and agitated and, and frustrated at you, God, but to be okay with where they are, trusting you for their future. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Oh.